welcome to 3Q, where I interview industry professionals for just 15 minutes by asking three powerful questions. I'm your host, Rachel Vogel, and joining us for tonight's episode is Jason Lipschutz, Executive Director of Music at Billboard. Ever wondered who's the writer behind all your favorite articles? Well, chances are Jason's behind at least a handful of them. He's written about music for over a decade and penned cover stories on Taylor Swift, U2, Shawn Mendes, Lord, Bon Iver, Blink-182, and many other iconic artists. He's been featured on popular broadcast programs like Access Hollywood, Good Morning America, Today, and Entertainment Tonight. And he was formerly the deputy editor of Digital at Fuse Media, where he contributed to The Hollywood Reporter, Spinner, Pop Justice, and Vibe. Jason, I'm very excited to have you join us. How are you? I'm good, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. So we're going to start right away. Are you ready for the first question? Let's rock and roll. Imagine for a second you're sitting down with your 25-year-old self. What one piece of advice would you give him on a personal note? And what one piece of advice would you give him from a business perspective? So this is a little bit cheating because I, <laughs> I have the same piece of advice for myself personally and professionally, which is just be patient. Um mm. Because, you know, I think on a personal level, when I was 25, I was, I was living in New York City. I was writing for Billboard. I was, you know, excited about everything about my circumstances and my life. And, and, but, you know, I also was really ambitious and I wanted to write more cover stories and I wanted to do more things on video and I wanted to start podcasts and I wanted to, and I, I, I appreciated that ambition in the sense of looking back on it now. But, um, you know, I think that I would have told myself to appreciate everything going on around me and, and, be patient in terms of those different opportunities. And, you know, that's, the, I'm, I'm focusing more on a professional note, but I think also on a personal note, um, I've learned as I've gotten older that everybody is insecure about what they're doing and mm-hmm. everyone is going through something that you're not fully aware of. And sometimes people mess up and I've spent a lot of my you know, early career frustrated by people that didn't get back to me or annoyed with someone who wasn't editing me quick enough <laughs> or getting, returning my, replying my, to my emails quick, quickly enough. And, you know, it, it wasn't actually like a, an anger. It was just more of like, you know, I was like, go, go, go. I'm 25. I'm single. I'm living in the city come on, we can move at a fast pace. This <laughs> now, you know, now that I'm 34, living uh, with my wife and my dog in the suburbs, uh, I have a very different perspective and understand that, you know, sometimes a work email or an assignment or an edit um, has to go on the back burner for real life. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's really what I would tell myself. If, if I took a time machine back to 25, I, I would just say, you know, be patient, in the opportunities you get and, and be patient with the people around you. I, I've been very, very fortunate to work with a lot of incredibly kind and supportive people. And honestly, people that I never should have gotten annoyed at ever. <laughs> Not that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit in the sense of like, you know, it, it, it was less about being frustrated with them and more about just like the, the pace I was living at. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, everybody, 
is kind of going through something outside of the little the tiny space in which we see them. Mm-hmm. And um, I have much more awareness of that now. And um, yeah, that's what I would tell myself. That's great advice. I think that's very relatable as somebody who's in their young 20s. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So you mentioned um, being 25 and writing like your cover stories and everything. So I have to ask, what was the feeling when you got your very first story published? Oh, um, I mean, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was, this was when I was an intern at Billboard and I was still in college. And oh, wow. um, I remember getting my first uh, print story, which was just like a small profile on a band that you know, no one's ever heard of. Um, and yeah, I mean, just everything since then, every new milestone, I mean, I still, I still get such a rush when a big story comes out and, um, it's why I love to do what I do. Like I, I, I love to writing has always kind of been my North star and I have really loved developing different skill sets over the course of my career from editing to managing to you know media and multimedia and you know just even administrative stuff like I, I've, I've appreciated it all but writing is still my my passion and you know there's nothing like getting a, a story published and seeing your byline and you know, it's still like, it still is something that I really try, even though I'm, I'm literally writing every single day uh, for Billboard, I, I definitely try not to take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I'll definitely keep a lookout for your name. <laughs> every single day. It's on there. It's every day. On Billboard.com. Yep. All right. All right. With that, we're going to move right to question two. Every industry has its dirty little secrets. And you and I both know that it's no different in the music industry. And sometimes people think that that's a bad thing, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they can be good. What's one secret you would like to share with our listeners about the industry? So I was thinking about this in the sense of where I was when entering the music industry from a, from a mental standpoint and just from, a, from my attitude. And the thing I would tell my younger self entering the industry or anyone listening who's entering the music industry is that everybody's taste sucks sometimes. And (laughs) (laughs) what I mean mean by that is like, there's such an imposter syndrome when you're entering the music industry, because you're entering this industry with legends who have produced some of the, you know, biggest hits of all time and label execs who are behind some of the biggest artists in the world and writers who have covered the biggest stories, um, in music over the course of decades. And that's very daunting. That's a, that's a thing that is, is kind of hard to wrap your head around, especially when you're, you're starting. Um, but I think one thing that I, I wish someone had kind of told me early on was that, you know, no one has perfect taste. Obviously you gravitate toward some people's, you know, when, when you're thinking about critics, when you're thinking about labels who have a lot of bands who sound you like, there are certain people and components of the industry that you gravitate toward naturally but I remember just like thinking about how mind-blowing it was when when someone liked something a little bit outside the box like it was almost like an emperor has no clothes kind of deal when I was like wait you like this song you like this album I think especially back then um this was pre-spotify 
everyone's music tastes were a little bit more regimented where, you know, it was rare for someone to really love pop music and also really love country and really love hip hop. And so you had much, much more like kind of specialists where there were indie rock writers and there were rap writers and, and same with execs and same with, you know, people at different companies uh, within the music industry. Um, but yeah, everybody's taste sucks sometimes. Like there, there are the biggest labels in the world who I've seen say this thing, I love it so much. It's going to be um, enormous. You have to listen to this artist and they're not good and they don't go anywhere. And that, and that mm -hmm. happens. Like no one has a perfect batting average. And because of that, I was, I was talking about, you know, insecurity. I think if people entering the music industry knew that, then they'd be a little bit more comfortable in their own skin. Where, mm -hmm. you know, I remember, um, I, I have a very distinct memory of telling, uh, and, and I must've been like 22, 23 at the time, um, telling an, an older editor that one of my favorite songs of the, of the past, uh, this was mid 2000s, was Cranked At by Soulja Boy. And I was like, this okay. song is <laughs> and I love it. And they were just so shocked because back then I was like the indie rock guy I was writing about. Animal Collective and Frog Eyes and Wolf Braid and and I was like no I love Crank That Soldier Boy and you know I definitely was like a little bit wobbly in that declaration but yeah I think I think it's a little bit more wide open now but I I would also say like in terms of the, the stuff you listen to the stuff that you want to write about the stuff that you co-sign if you're not if you're not on the editorial standpoint but you know are working at a label or a management company um yeah, like don't don't be afraid to to speak up because nobody has perfect taste, and mm -hmm. that's something that like because you you go into the industry and you think everybody has perfect taste, and you're like everybody knows more than I do, mm -hmm. um, and everybody has developed their palate more than I have, and that's just not necessarily true. Um, so that's what I would, that's that would be my kind of dirty little secret about the music industry is that like. People are wrong. People have wild <laughs> opinions. People are, you know, in love with bands that you would that you hate, and that's like totally fine. And it's vice versa. So definitely yeah, with it. That's great. I love that answer. <laughs> All right. So we're at the third and final question. Here we go. Throughout your career, I can only imagine you've been asked a lot of questions, whether for an industry conference, the media, or even a promotion. But throughout all of those interviews and all of those questions, I'll bet there was one that you've never been asked but would have liked to. So what is that question and what would have been your answer? Um, so I, I thought I'll, this was the hardest one to answer. <laughs> and um, just because more than anything, I, I talked to a lot of like college students and grad students and interns. And, you know, they're always kind of asking about my career path and how I got to do what I'm doing and what mm -hmm. advice could I give? And so I talk a lot about my kind of biography there. Um, the one thing in terms of that, and obviously like career advice and kind of picking my brain on, on different professional aspects. The one, the one question that I've never really been asked and is really crucial to knowing me and knowing what has made me who I am in terms of uh, what I do is um, the question, how did your friendships shape your musical taste because I think a lot of people talk about 
how parents shaped musical taste, how siblings, how my work shaped my musical taste. And all those things are important. Obviously, I, I'm very close with both my parents and, um, you know, have a lot of musical overlap, especially with my dad. Um, but when I look back at why I'm doing what I'm doing, I would say it's because of the experiences I had with my friends growing up and geeking out about different bands and, you know, going through different phases where I, I had a very distinct, you know, I was, uh, I was born in 1987. So when, um, the turn of the century happened and it was like TRL and the teeny bopper stuff. And also like new metal, like corn and limp biscuit. Um, me and my guy friends were, were absorbing all of it. Like I went um, a couple years ago with my high school buddies to see the Backstreet Boys uh, in Las Vegas, because we just all grew up with the Backstreet Boys and mm -hmm. that helped me fall in love with pop music. And then I, you know, got into harder rock with them. Um, and then, you know, in the mid 2000s, I had some totally different group of friends who were really into like Sufjan Stevens and Joanna Newsom and TV on the radio and all of these bands that were not being covered by really anyone. This was kind of when Pitchfork was very much kind of niche. And I just remember like diving so deeply into that world with other people alongside me. And, you know, it's funny because this was uh, a, a relatively long time ago and I'm not um, in touch with all those people still. I'm, I'm you know, I, I still have close friends from, the, mm -hmm. from those various eras. Um, but that was pivotal to me. And I, I think that um, it's, always, it's always interesting to talk to other writers and editors and, and people in, in the music industry about those types of memories in a sense of, you know, how the people you grew up with helped you do what you did. Like, you know, I have friends who, um, groups of friends who are just so, so, so into hip hop. And part of it is because, you know, they grew up with eight close friends who all loved every mixtape that came out. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really special. Like that's a special thing. And, and kind of to the present day, um, I share a lot of that with my wife who, you know, we have a, a ton of musical overlap and we are, um, constantly talking about music and listening to music, especially in the car. And, um, that's just like a, that's like a thing that I think about a lot in terms of just the, the relationships I have with the people around me and how, you know, I don't think I, I don't, if those kinds of friendships didn't happen, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. So yeah, no one's ever really asked me about that, but it's really important to me. And I guess if, if you're listening to this, like, don't, I, my advice would be like, don't discount the musical bonds between friends. Because like, you know, I took, uh, my wife and I took our, our niece, our 13 year old niece to see Olivia Rodrigo. Ah. Uh, and it was really cool. Um, she puts on a great show. It was really fun for my, my niece, who's, it was her first concert. She had a totally Ooh, exciting. Um, but also like there were a lot of teenagers there with friends screaming every word into each other's faces. And like, I would just say like, that's something that you're going to remember forever. Like I remember those very specific instances with my friends. Um, 
And, you know, I think like, don't discount those memories. Like don't discount those bonds because like, whether you're, you get into the music industry or not, like they're going to be really pivotal and they're going to be stuff that like, yeah, you're just always going to take with you. Absolutely. I, it's funny that you just mentioned your niece's first concert, because as you were like telling me all about this, that's all that I could think about was kind of when I was growing up and what kind of led me to get into the music industry was like going to concerts with my friends. And that's like the one thing that I remember. And I would go to these shows and be like, I love concerts. I love the feeling of live music. You think about those experiences and you're right. Like you were with your friends and that's what shapes you. So that's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, it has been wonderful having you on 3Q tonight and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thank you for thank you for having me. It was great. Of course. And to all my listeners, I know you enjoyed hearing from Jason as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. So stay tuned for next week's episode of 3Q where I interview industry professionals for just 15 minutes by asking three powerful questions. See you next time. Uh, 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 uh.